Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. church. We are continuing a series in the Gospel of Luke, and if you're here for the first time, we're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, feel free to uh, open your Bibles if you have them with, with you, or if you have an app on your phone that uh, will take you there, or we'll have the words on the screen if you didn't bring either of those. That's just great, too. But I want to read a story uh, from the Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, uh, that is about the story of Jesus and this encounter that he had. And I think... <laughs> As I preached this in first service, I was reminded again how relevant these stories are, even though they're thousands of years old. So I want to read this, and I want to ask us to uh, ask God to speak to us, each one directly, to the message we may need to hear this morning of encouragement, of challenge, uh, of finding ourselves as we truly are once again this morning. Uh, the, The story comes in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 and following. After this... Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. It's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray this morning as we open God's word together. God, we, oh, we find this story, God, and I am, I'm hit by it again between the eyes. The reality that all of us walk in, in so many different places. And yet so many of us find ourselves on the outside, on the outside of groups of people uh, that we don't feel like we can break into, on the outside of maybe your grace or your mercy, on the outside of all kinds of things. And God, you've got a word for those that feel that way this morning. And yet there are others of us that know inside. We know what it is to be an insider in every respect of the word. And God, there's a word for us as well who feel that way. And so God, I pray in a way that I can't with my own words, that your spirit would speak, that you'd pour through me the gift of preaching, so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A hospital is a remarkable place. As I was reading this text in the words of Jesus, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I decided uh, about 10 days ago as I wrote this message that I couldn't write this sermon from my office. Uh, That's true every week because I hardly get any work done here. But I went away from the coffee shop. And I decided I would listen to these words. I would read them from the lobby of a hospital. So I went to that hospital and I was in that lobby as I wrote this sermon and it changed what I saw. In fact, if maybe you're wondering about maybe a practice to help change the way you read scripture, I really would challenge you to do this. 
is you may have your favorite recliner, and that's great. I don't want to take you away from that. That's where God meets you. There are those thin spaces that we know. But if you've never gone and read a passage in a place that maybe brings it alive, try doing this. If, try reading the Great Commission in a coffee shop with people that are bustling around you. Try reading about the freedom of the Israelites from Egypt outside of a county courthouse and think about the freedom that's needed for those that are held hostage there. Think uh, maybe about your enemy, right? Jesus has words about loving your enemy. Go sit outside your enemy's house and read that passage and see how it reads. Don't read the imprecatory Psalms. Read the story about Jesus, right? And maybe you ought to be careful about that one. But the point is, where we read shapes what we see. And it was a different kind of experience as I did that a couple of weeks ago. But I digress. A hospital is a remarkable place. We have people who go to school and they pile up debt and they enter into internships and they become proficient at their practice. All so that they can spend time with sick people who show up at their door not knowing what will come. Think how remarkable that is a remarkable thing. And then I got to thinking, I was, I was sitting in this hospital lobby, what, where did this all get started? I mean, where did, what's the history of hospitals? And so I read up on that as I was in that lobby and I discovered some things. You see, the precursor to modern hospitals began to show up around uh, 2,500 years ago. The, the Greeks had a, a certain practice with that. They had healing temples dedicated to Asclepius. I think that's how you say it. The first doctor demigod in Greek mythology. The Romans had hospitals for military people who'd been wounded in battle and they tried to heal them up. But basically hospitals and healing temples in those days were set aside for the elite in their day. But civilian hospitals open to anyone who would come didn't happen until people heard the words of Jesus and followers of Jesus began to imagine that maybe we ought to do what Jesus said we ought to do. In fact, Rodney Stark, a a prominent sociologist, argues that the primary reason for this explosive growth of the early church in the early centuries of uh, the, the, the AD days after Jesus was because of these people who cared for sick people when others wouldn't. This kind of history fascinates me. I hope it does you. If not, please just smile and nod along the way, I guess. Maybe a smile would be okay too. During the reign of Marcus Aurelius around 165 AD, an epidemic of some, what some call something similar to smallpox emerged and between a third of the population and a quarter of the population died, including Marcus Aurelius himself. So what was the response to epidemics like this? Well, there was a second epidemic. The second epidemic came about a century later, and at its height, 5,000 people were dying every single day in the city of Rome. Now imagine, like in DFW, if 5,000 people every day were dying of an epidemic, the kind of craziness that would create in the city. But this is a smaller city, Rome, than what we experience today. So what was the response to these epidemics? Well, the same you'd expect today. People panicked. And there's some uh, historical writings about what happens during that time. There was no guidance from Homer about what to do in that scenario. There was no uh, commands from Zeus about how to treat those who weren't a part of your family that needed help in these scenarios. Put your own life at risk for the sake of others? It was unheard of. The Greek uh, historian Thucydides wrote about how people in Athens responded to this plague at that time. Listen to these words that he writes. They died with no one to look after them. Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabitants perished through lack of intention for care. 
The bodies of the dying were heaped up one on top of the other. No fear of God or law of man had a restraining influence. And that's in Athens. In Rome, here's another report of what happened in that city. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. As I wrote this sermon from the lobby of a hospital, I thought how far we've come. Uh, There's Wi-Fi in the lobby, by the way, so if you ever decide you have work to do, it's not a bad place to go. There's sick people entering the doors. There's doctors that are preparing all their lives for whatever may come in these doors in non-anxious ways. There are families waiting on news for how the surgery will go. And as I was paying attention to the bustle of all that, all of a sudden I looked outside and there was its own bustle because this particular hospital in Richardson had a crane hanging over it and construction workers because apparently the amount of rooms they had wasn't enough for the people they wanted to care for. Somebody somewhere decided we can spend money and more people can come in our doors for healing. People didn't do these kind of things in the first century. The seeds Jesus planted created followers who began to do something about this. A hospital is a remarkable place. Which brings me to this story in Luke chapter 5. We'll come back to the history lesson in a bit, but let's go to a different history lesson, the story that Jesus and these people. I, I read this story at the very beginning of the message, and at the beginning of the story, Jesus is breaking social norms. He goes to a place where good Christians aren't supposed to go. He goes to a tax collector's booth, and there's a guy there named Levi. Now, let me stop for a moment. I feel like each of the next five weeks, as I talk about a story of Jesus with an outsider, I have to help us with context because what Jesus does seems so normal today. We have to understand the shock of what Jesus was doing in that time. Because in our society, we think about a tax collector, maybe it's something like an IRS agent, right? So in our society, a tax collector is on salary and is but one person in a financial uh, network and, and, and of checks and balances. So when you get a call for the IRS, it can ruin your day, it can ruin your months. I've been through an audit before myself. But you know there's at least a system that's supposed to bring justice and equity. But in the Roman Empire, local residents, unless enjoying some rare exemption, were subjected to many taxes. They had poll taxes, road and bridge tolls, taxes on merchandise, property taxes. All that sounds normal to us, right? But in the first century, the task of collecting taxes was usually given to a wealthy and powerful figure that wasn't from the area where the tax collection was happening. So they would in turn divide up areas into tax districts and they would put people who were locals over the charge of collections in that area. And those chief tax collectors would bring in locals from the very own people that he's bringing taxes from who were to go and they were to take these taxes up and they were supposed to make a living on top of what was already these crazy taxes they were paying at that time. Which you can imagine if that's the system, widespread corruption is going to be the result. There's no checks and balances to this. You don't know what they're asking, how much of it goes to them in their pockets, and how much of it goes to the government. Which means that for Jews in the first century, their tax collectors were actually fellow Jews. They were working for the enemy. They were traitors is what they were, right? Stealing from their own people to line the pockets of the government and to line their own pockets, and they seemed to live all right. They were traitors. They worked for the enemy against their own people, which made them outcasts. And that's who Jesus goes to see. He knew this wasn't going to make him any friends to include this guy in his list of disciples. 
But Jesus doesn't seem near as interested in the lines we draw between us and them. He never seems concerned about going outside of the established boundaries of his day. That's really what this whole series is about, the gospel according to Luke. The good news of Jesus, according to Luke, is that those on the outside are finding a way in. And those on the inside sometimes want to scram and run away when those on the outside find their way in. The Good Samaritan story, right? We wouldn't have that story if it weren't for Luke including this. Luke's a Gentile and he has a lens through which to see this. And he appreciates the inclusion he has in this community. And he's looking around saying, can we continue this journey? The prodigal son, it's nowhere else. It's in Luke that he includes that story. There's banquet parables that get this theme again. We'll preach on one of those in a few weeks. So Levi, the former tax collector, becomes Levi, the follower of Jesus. And Levi's so happy about this that he throws a party for Jesus. Now, think about it. Where's the money coming together to throw this party? (laughs) Coming from the fellow Jews in the community. And who shows up? The only people who are going to show up at a tax collector's party. It's tax collectors, and I love the word there. I want us to pay attention to it. Tax collectors and others. Others. That's an interesting word, isn't it? And Jesus sits down with, to eat with these people. And this act of eating is a big deal because who you eat with is a sign of full acceptance. And in that culture and time, who you ate with, it spoke volumes to everyone around you. It was risky. In fact, Jesus will be rejected partly because of the practices of eating he engages in. You remember what they say about him, right? He's a glutton and a drunkard. He's the guy who eats with tax collectors and sinners. He was walking outside the established boundaries, and it wasn't making the Pharisees happy. And that's the concern the Pharisees have. Let's read again in in Luke 5, the second half of verse 30. Listen to the question they posed to the disciples. Why do you eat eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus never bats an eye to a question that's not even directed to him. He says in verses 31 and 32, not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. During July of 2014, there was the largest Ebola outbreak in history ravaging West Africa. And that outbreak seemed so distant until it hit home in the United States with missionaries that we heard stories about. It's two missionaries, uh, medical missionaries. One was a a man named Kent Brantley. Um, Kent Brantley grew up in our churches, our tradition, churches of Christ. He still attends a church of Christ in Fort Worth. He was at Abilene Christian University the same time I was there. I know some of you know Kent even better than I do. Kent and his co-worker, Nancy Wrightbull, were the first Americans in two decades to contract Ebola. There was a lot of debate that went around, if you remember back to that summer and that fall, of what do we do about this? We invite them back home to see if we can find healing for them? Or is this too great a threat? And there were some Significant voices at the time who were trying to speak out and say, don't do this. That's good that you want to go over there, but pay the consequences if you're going to be a missionary. There was a lot of furor about it, concern, and rightfully so, because we understand how outbreaks can happen, but we did bring them back to the United States. In the midst of that, I, I, it was actually October 14th. I looked back at my social media timeline that I was at Presbyterian Hospital here in Dallas. If you remember back to that story in that time, you might remember that there was actually a a man who had come home and a a Liberian man who'd entered the country and discovered symptoms and he sought treatment at that hospital, Presbyterian Hospital in Dallas. And on October 14th, I wandered into that lobby in much the same place I was writing this sermon and it was a ghost town. I went there because Marty O'Rear, one of our ministers, was having surgery that week. And I remember going in and seeing that the businesses weren't near as busy, the restaurants around that hospital. 
And all the story was on the news. And I remember walking in with a little bit of fear and trepidation about walking into this place because of the things I had heard. And then I looked around me, you know what I saw? Doctors and nurses going about doing what they do every single day. It's what they've trained for. They've trained all their lives to walk into the worst moments in people's lives and give them news they never wanted to hear. They go into debt to do this. And they give their lives to this. And here they were. They were coming to work and were willing to risk their lives going to daily work in this place. See, we fear what we don't know. Instinctively, we are built to protect ourselves and to exclude anyone who might infect us, who might put us at risk. And yet the decision was made to put Kent and Nancy on an airplane to the States and it saved their lives. Earlier, I mentioned the history of epidemics and how humans were left for dead in the Roman Empire. But there's more to that story as history tells. There was in that world a community that remembered they followed a man who touched lepers while they were unclean, who told the disciples to go heal their sick, who got in arguments at dinners that embarrassed religious people, respectable people. And they followed Jesus to do what he had done while on planet Earth. Dionysius, I have a quote from him I want to share with you. He was a bishop, a third century bishop in Alexandria, who wrote about the actions of the early Christians during those plagues that you heard about earlier. Listen to this quote. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with a disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Any modern idea that the least of these are to be treasured stems from the ministry of Jesus and followers who took it seriously. There's another quote that I want to share with you. It's in the late fourth century, and it's an opponent of the Christian faith. This guy's name gets me. Um, I wouldn't name my kid this if I were you. Emperor Julian the Apostate. (laughs) You have to do something to get apostate in your name, right? And he chastised the pagan priests for not keeping up with the Christians in their care and concern for others. Listen to what he says about the impious Galileans. That's how he refers to the Christians. He says, I I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the priests, the impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. In the early centuries of the church, leprosy meant isolation. It meant uncleanness. It meant almost certain death. And a church father named Basil had an idea. What if we build a place of love and care for lepers? They don't have to have money. They don't even have to pay for it. We'll raise the money. And Basil's idea was accepted into practice at the Nicene Creed in the early 4th century. And what they said in that creed and in that time at that council is, wherever a cathedral exists, there must be a hospice, a place of care for the healing of people who are sick and who are poor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. There's an organization that some of you have given to in times of difficulty around the world. And it started because of a follower of Jesus named Jean-Henri Dunant, who couldn't stand the sound of soldiers crying out on a battlefield after they'd been wounded. So the Swiss philanthropist said he would devote his life to helping them in Jesus' name. And his organization is now known as the Red Cross. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, 
that's sick. Father Damien was a Belgian priest who worked in Hawaii. Sounds like a beautiful location until you found what he did. In the 19th century, he created a place where lepers could be loved and cared for. And then one week he got up and said, God loves you lepers. And the next week he got up and said, God loves us lepers. He later died of leprosy. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. On and on, the stories could be told of Christians throughout the ages, following the words of Jesus, spending time with the sick, caring for them at risk to themselves. And as I wrote these words a couple of weeks ago, and I was in that lobby, I looked around and I saw it all around me. I saw nurses that just sanely walked into a building, not knowing what they might put themselves at risk for. I saw, I actually heard a sound as I was writing this. I heard the sound of a a crying woman. I didn't know what had happened. She's coming in the front door and there's this man who gets her in a wheelchair and wheels right past me. And I'm thinking, I saw when I was going, it was a woman about to give give birth in this hospital. I'm going, please get her upstairs before it happens here in the lobby. This whole scheme may have been a mistake, but there may be a good illustration to come from it. And as I saw him crossing my path, I didn't know if he was a follower of Jesus or not. But what I knew is that he was following the pattern of followers of Jesus who had decided they would care for those who needed help. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I was thinking about some in the crowd here this morning who may be in the stages of deciding what you're going to do for a career for the first time. And others of you, they're thinking, I'm looking for the second time too. And I would suggest a, a career in the medical field would be a great career. My wife, Holly, her entire family almost works in the healthcare industry in some way in a doctor's office or a hospital, and I, I respect their work. As I wrote this sermon from a hospital, I was reminded that a hospital is a miraculous place. This sermon has to meet us beyond what nurses and doctors and administrators do in hospitals. Because this text speaks to us beyond just physical healing. Most of my life, I've been raised and trained to heal healthy people. I've spent much of my life in a Christian bubble. I attended private Christian school from preschool through graduate school. I spent the last 10 years of my life working in a church, in Christian environments since leaving school. The only interaction I remember with people who weren't followers of Jesus growing up were, was on a few sports teams that I had growing up. And while I was in college and graduate school, my training was mostly about that very thing. How do we help churched people become better churched people? Hopefully disciples along the way as well. And as I I said, I was raised and trained to heal the healthy, to help good disciples become great disciples, which seems a lot more like the work of the Pharisees than the work of Jesus. Jesus sought out sick people, not healthy people. Jesus wanted churches to be hospitals where sick people entered into the doors and were healed only to be sent back out to continue the ministry of healing outside the doors. But as I look around and think about my life and think about the work that our church does, oh, I can see work of healing. I see it all around in this building all week long. Yes, there's healing that takes place. Some churches just become hospitals that set up beds and never ask people to leave the beds to go do the healing outside the walls. 
I can't speak for you, but I realized this week as I was in that hospital that something needs to change in my life. Because I do really good work around people I'm paid to do good work around. But when I show up at football practice, I take a book with me because I just don't want to be on anybody else's list of another burden on my week. When I get home, sometimes what I give to my kids and my family isn't as good as what I give when I'm in the hospital writing a sermon. That has to change. I need to find ways to be around sick people. And I'm wondering about you. Have you become too comfortable in the hospital? Now, I have to say something because this sends us down a path that some of you may be going, now, wait a minute. Uh, Do we divide this line so easily between church and world this way? Maybe... Before I spent time with this passage, I, I was reading these words of Jesus, and I, my first thought was, I didn't know the context where Jesus says, it's not the sick who need a doctor, it's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And my first thought was, what he must be saying to whoever the audience is, is you're fine. You've got the good news. I need to go to people who don't yet have the good news. But if you read closely the context here, who's he saying this to? The Pharisees. And I cannot imagine Jesus saying to the Pharisees, it's the sick who need my help, not the healthy. You guys are fine. I need to work with others, right? You're good. I really need to go and work with others outside. You keep doing your ministry among the healthy, and I'll go do it among the sick people. And that's what caught me as I was reading this text. Let me read Jesus' words again. Luke 5, 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. The only people a doctor can help are the sick people who are sick enough to admit they need help. Like Holly's family that spends time in doctor's offices and nursing fields, like they can't heal people who don't know they need to show up to them to get diagnosed and get some kind of prescription. It takes people who are sick enough to realize they're sick and are going saying, I can't fix this. I need someone else to help. The only people a doctor can help are the sick people who admit they're sick and need help. And I think Jesus isn't just telling the Pharisees, you're fine and healthy. I think what he's doing is he's extending an invitation to the Pharisees to say, if you can admit you're just as sick as these people who are tax collectors and sinners, you might have hope too for healing. If you're really healthy and don't need healing, then I didn't come for you. Every human being is sick, though. Can I get more amens for that? So if you can admit you're sick and you can step out of the place of judgment of these tax collectors and sinners for just a moment, then the healing you need may come as well. No matter how healthy we get, and my prayer is that we're getting healthier the more we walk with Jesus. We've still got sickness that needs healing. Jesus is the doctor. Let's not confuse our role. We're not the healers, church. Our job's not to go out and say, I've got healing. That gets confused in Acts a few times. And the the people have to be reminded, you don't get the gift of the spirit for your own doing in your own ministry. You're not the healer. Jesus is the healer. The power of the Holy Spirit is the healer. You know who we are? We're the people who are getting well, who are referrals to others to the source of true healing. So we do. When we leave these walls, if we're doing it right, we know our story, we know our sickness, we know our diagnosis, we're walking toward healing, and what we're doing telling others is, hey, if you're sick 
and you're looking for help, I've got a doctor I can take you to as well. He knows all the prescriptions. He's got all the drugs at his disposal. Healing is his business. And the moment we forget this mission, the moment I forget this mission, you know what I start doing? I start naming myself as healthy, and I start drawing lines and judging people that I know are unhealthy. And you know the people I draw lines to say are unhealthy? They're the ones who struggle with sins I don't struggle with. We don't draw lines and find ourselves on the unhealthy side of the line. We act as if everything is okay, as if we don't need a hospital. And act as if we can do the healing. And it's just not the case. The Pharisees were in trouble when Jesus said, it's the sick I can help, not the healthy. He wasn't saying you're good. So go heal people and I'll do my work with others. Church, the hospital is a miraculous place. And I was was sitting in that lobby. I was thinking about what was going on around me. And I thought, you know what? The church can be just as miraculous a place. When the church can get it together to say, I can't heal other people, but I've got a story to tell about my own healing, and I'm not fully healed, but I'm on a journey, and and the healing needs to continue to come in my life, all of a sudden we can walk in with others, not from a place of judgment, not from a place of calling them other and tax collectors, but we're able to step in and say, if you need healing, I know where the source of healing is. Church, I believe that's what we want to be. Amen? Amen? I mean, it's daunting when you walk out trying to heal people like you're some kind of magician that can do tricks on your own. And that's sometimes why we don't go out is because we go in and out, out in our own power rather than in the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing them to a place where healing can occur. The best ministry we can do is to be able to say to anyone, I want you to know I'm getting healing right now. And that's why I show up to this group and that's why I show up to this recovery ministry and that's why I show up to this church and that's why... I'm here with you is we're all sick and we're all on a journey to find healing in the Jesus who brings healing. Would you want to come to the doctor too? We give referrals. So in just a few moments, we're going to leave these doors. And maybe this is a reconception about what your role is, right? Not to check this off the box and get all right with God so you can go out and act as if it's all together. Now you're uh, patients. And when people see you leaving the doors, they know you were sick when you leave this place, right? Just like when you leave a doctor's office. And they know you better be going to some place to get a prescription and continuing your healing, or you're going to continue to be sick. What they need you to see as you leave these doors is, yeah, I'm, I'm sick and I'm getting help. And boy, if you want help too, I got a spot right next to me next Sunday. We've got a place in our group. We've got a celebrate recovery ministry that happens over here. We've got a ministry for this that sick people can come to. And that's all I would ask you to do. This is happening in this church in obvious places. I'm grateful for the ways, and we need to tell those stories more. But this is who we want to be, amen? A hospital that doesn't leave people in beds, but leaves, lets them go so they can refer others to the place of healing. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, we, I'm, I'm sorry. I want to start with a confession this morning as I pray. Because I thought I was healthy. And you can't help people who think they're completely healed up. You've come for the sick, and that's not just other people. That's not people who haven't gotten their lives together. It's not people who don't know where to show up at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. That, that's all of us. So God, I first start with confession and ask for your forgiveness for the times that I've tried to be healer for others, or I've tried to act as if I'm all healed up. 
But God, I do thank you that I'm not where I, I'm not where I was. And that's through the gracious testimony of you that's been passed on from previous generations in my life. It's been passed on to me from professors and people who've given their story of healing to me. And I realize I can be okay admitting that I'm sick too, because there's a source of healing that can come if I can admit it. First John talks about this. If we hide things and we don't bring it into the light, there's no hope. But forgiveness is there for those who admit they're sick, who seek repentance. And who walk into the healing you have. So God, my prayer is that we can first take that step. And we can step up our, off of our judgment seat. We can step off of our line drawing. And we can step on the other side of that line of healthy and sick to realize that everyone we encounter is in need of you just as much as we are. And God, as we find health, I pray that would grow. It would expand. It would multiply, God. That this would be a place where people say, if you want to get healthy, you go to, you go to this place along with other churches in our community that are trying to be about the kingdom of God. And that there's a reputation that grows that doesn't say anything about any one of us. But it's about you and your fame and your glory and the healing that only Jesus can do. So God, heal us and send us out with referrals this week so that we can share the story of our ongoing healing so that others might come in touch with that same touch. I thank you that you're the God who sits at tax collector parties willing to be misunderstood by respectable people. I pray we would risk the same. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.